Each week, we have the student of the week. And today, let's see if it works. Today, the student of the week is... It's Ben, one of our elders. So this is what we do if you are late to church. We Facebook troll embarrassing photos of you. No, we don't. Uh, The reason why we are starting today with the student of the week is to remind us during our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount that we are to come to God with the posture of a student, to come to Jesus humbly as students, as to learn how to direct our hearts to live for God's kingdom here on earth. And if you're new here today, you've landed on our sixth week on our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount And we've actually hit a new section in Jesus' sermon. We hit chapter 6. And as we begin this new section, Jesus is still diagnosing the human heart. As we've seen throughout the sermon, Jesus is deeply concerned about the total renovation of our hearts. Jesus is concerned with total alignment with God. Not just with our actions, but with our innermost being. And so as Jesus continues this heart work, he now hones in on the issue of motive. What motivates you to do the right thing? What Jesus calls righteousness? What motivates you to do godly things? And that is the question that he will be interrogating our hearts today. What motivates you to do godly things? And Jesus gets right to the point with this question, with his introduction to this new section. So read with me verse 1 of chapter 6. He says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus says there are really just two things that motivate us to be righteous. It's either to be seen by others or to be seen by God, your Father. It's either to be seen by others or to be seen by God, the Father. And the Father, I want to say, is the key to this passage this morning. It's the absolute key, because when you know God who sees and knows you in a way that a father sees and knows his children, it will change you And it'll keep you from practicing righteousness like the hypocrites. And Jesus gives us three examples with a new pattern of teaching. And the pattern goes like this. Don't be like the hypocrites instead. He says, don't be like the hypocrites who try to do everything in order to be seen by people. And the original word for hypocrites was used for masked actors in plays. And so Jesus was referring to the Pharisees and scribes who were acting out their religious devotion whilst masking their true motivations. And Jesus says, instead, remember your father who sees everything in secret. So Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who want everyone to see them. Instead, remember your father who sees everything in secret. And this is what Jesus is going to be telling in three different examples as he unmasks the masked devotion of the hypocrites. And the first example is giving. As I read 
with me from verse 2. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who see what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus says, don't give money for a show. As the saying goes, don't blow your own trumpet when you give. Don't make a scene. Don't make a big deal in order to get the recognition and honor from others. Instead, Jesus says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And what Jesus is saying is give discreetly, for your Father sees what is done in secret. He will reward you. And John Stott makes a really good comment about this verse. He says, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Don't give for a show. Instead, give in secret for your Father sees. The second example is about prayer. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, do not like be the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Jesus says, don't pray to parade yourself. The hypocrites were publicly praying, pretending to be praising and petitioning God, when in reality they were concerned about men praising them. Jesus says, don't pray like them. Instead, pray in private. Do your business with God there. It's between you and him. God the Father sees the secret things and he will reward you. So don't pray to parade. Instead, pray in private for your Father sees. Finally, Jesus gives another example about, uh, and it's about fasting. Look with me at verse 16. We'll come back to the Lord's Prayer in more detail next week. But jump to verse 16. Jesus says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that they are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The hypocrites fast and they look hungry, they look deprived, maybe they look malnourished, but it's not genuine. They're actually putting on a show so people who sees them will be like, wow, they really are fasting. Wow, they, they're really devoted, aren't they? Wow, they're really keen and hungry for God. Look at them. And so disfigure their faces, what they would have done was neglect personal hygiene or cover their heads with sackcloth or perhaps smear their faces with ashes in order to look pale. As Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites. Instead, put oil on your head and wash your face, which is the equivalent of saying, clean and brush your hair, put shampoo and conditioner on your hair, wash your face. He's saying, look normal, look decent. Wash and brush as if you would be like any other normal day. Because the purpose of fasting is not to gain a reputation, 
but to express humility before God and to put our concerns for others in need, to earnestly pray. And so don't fast for attention. Instead, fast without gaining attention. For your Father sees what is done in secret, and he will reward you. So to apply what Jesus is saying, we have to understand that Jesus is making a caricature of these things. He's giving extreme correction to extreme examples to make it ridiculous to drive a point home. And the point that Jesus is trying to drive home is not that we can't give, pray, or fast in public. He's not against public devotion. There's nothing inherently wrong with giving in a public setting or public prayers or coming together to fast. The point that Jesus is trying to drive home as he takes these examples to the extreme is to ask, who are you living for? Or more accurately, what Jesus is after Who are you living your life before? Jesus is saying, who is your audience? If you've got a mask and you're playing out a play, then who is your audience that you're living and acting out before? Who are you trying to impress? Whose applause and approval are you trying to gain? Whose praise and positive review are you trying to win over? And we live in a culture that believes that we are all bravely independent. We believe in our culture that the only person that we are to try to satisfy and impress is ourselves because we are independent. But Jesus reveals to us that we are not as independent as we might think because deep down we all seek the approval, the validation, the affirmation of another in order to feel worthy, don't we? Jesus, we can only get that validation, affirmation, and approval in two ways. It's either from other people or from God the Father. So who are you living your life before? Why are you a Christian? Why are you living a life of righteousness? I mean, why are you here today at church? Is it for your parents? Is it for your church friends? Is it for your spouse? Can you see how if your Christian faith and life hangs on the approval and affirmation on anyone other than God, can you see just how fragile and codependent your faith is? Because if that person that you seek the approval and affirmation for your Christian walk, if that person rejects Jesus, well, chances are you probably will follow suit because you would want to maintain their approval and affirmation. But above all, a faith motivated by seeking the praise and affirmation of another is really disingenuous, isn't it? It really corrupts your worship and devotion to God. And so as Jesus unmasks the masked religiosity of the Pharisees, we should also let Jesus unmask the various areas that we might fall into hypocrisy. You might see it with children wanting to please and gain the affirmation of their Christian parents or extended family. You might see it with church members wanting to get the attention and praise of church leaders. You might see it with a spouse hiding and skirting around the real nature of his or her faith 
in order to make his or her husband or wife happy. You might see it when Christians rally for justice and social action when really they are concerned less about the cause and more about them looking awesome and compassionate. You might even see it with Christians seeking revival and seeking renewal, spotlighting God's amazing works, but really to bring themselves into the limelight. The thing is, these, all these things, there are great things to pursue. But can you see, just with a subtle switch of your motivation, we can make what is a good and righteous pursuit perverted and corrupt, where we make these godly pursuits about not God, but about ourselves and about the approval and praise of others. It's so subtle, that switch. And this is how sick we can be. I could actually be standing here to give today's sermon, not out of the love of the Father, but actually I just want you to say, oh, Mike, that was a really good sermon. That was really helpful. And it might actually be that for you, but I've done it all for the wrong reasons. That is how sick we can get in our hearts. And that is the real danger that Jesus is warning us about. And notice in these three examples, the hypocrites, Jesus says, have their reward. That really stood out for me. Three times Jesus says to the hypocrites, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Whereas I've noticed like perhaps in other parts of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of talks about judgment and consequences for those who live disobedient lives or live, I guess, hearts not truly devoted to God. But interesting, they says, truly, I have tell you, they have their reward in full. Jesus says the danger here is actually getting what we want. Jesus' warning is you might actually get what you want. And so the danger in acting for the praise and affirmation of others is actually getting it. The danger is getting the affirmation and praise of others because then you might actually be fully satisfied with just that. Why is that a danger? It's a danger because if you're fully satisfied with the praise and affirmation of people, if that is the reward that you seek to gain and you get it, then you won't have the desire and a motivation to pursue the greater reward, which is the pleasure and the blessing of the Father. If you're just satisfied with the approval of your earthly father, you're not going to pursue the approval of your heavenly father, who has a greater plan and greater aspiration for your life. If you're just satisfied with pleasing your spouse, you're not going to pursue pleasing Christ, your bridegroom, who lavishes you with all spiritual blessing. If you're just satisfied with the praise of your boss, you're not going to pursue the praise of your Lord who's using you to build an everlasting kingdom. If you're just satisfied with the affirmation of your pastor, you're not going to pursue the affirmation of the great shepherd who walks with you through the valleys of life. If you're just satisfied with the love of others, you're not going to pursue the full depths and riches of the Father's love. The only way to be free from the need for the approval and affirmation of others is to know that God sees and knows you as your father. When God watches you, he doesn't watch you like a policeman. God is not a divine surveillance. He's not a divine 
CIA agency. When God watches you, he watches over you like a father watches over their child, seeking every opportunity to affirm, praise, encourage when their child grows and matures and does well. And when you do slip up or fail, do the wrong thing, your father watches seeking every opportunity to pick you up, to teach, to correct, to encourage. Jesus said that is the true greater reward when you practice righteousness for him, we get to experience God as our loving father, supportive, loving, wise father. So the text is asking us, so what reward are you seeking? The praise of man or the pleasure of your father? The praise of man on earth or the pleasure of your father in heaven? The praise of man is short-sighted and small, but the pleasure of the father is everlasting and infinite. Have you seen this experiment with kids? You tell them you can have one lolly now, but if you wait, you can have the whole bag later. Have you seen that experiment maybe on YouTube? Everyone, all the kids will be like, I'll have one now, please. I'll just have one now. We laugh, but we're no different, are we? I'd rather have one right now because I'm just not sure if God, my Father, will come through with me later. I'd rather have a little bit of praise and affirmation now because I'm just not confident that the Father in heaven knows me much better and things will be better later. We're so foolish, but God is so gracious. Whilst we were insecure, slaves to the praises and approval of others, God sent his Son to make us children of God. In Romans 8, we read this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you may live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. When you put your faith in Jesus' death and resurrection, God adopts us through the Spirit so that we can call God Abba, Father. To know God as your Father is the greatest privilege. It's the greatest reward. Some would say that is the greatest aspect of our Christian faith and life. Amy and I started watching the new season of Ugly Delicious. It's a foodie show hosted by David Chang, a celebrity chef. And we were actually surprised with season two with the first episode. Because the show started with David not exploring, you know, the latest restaurant that's popped up. The episode started with David coming to terms that he was going to become a dad. And what we see in the first episode is that he's an emotional mess because he's hit with the responsibility of fatherhood. In the, in the first episode, he says, like, I'm like a Peter Pan, you know. Uh, it's only now that I feel like I've become an adult. And so there's this seismic shift in his cooking and restaurant world. 
and he begins the journey of changing his life as he accepts that there is now someone more important than his careers. His wife kind of mocks him and says, you know, your restaurants are really your first babies. Uh, Now that he's got flesh and bone, he's realizing that there's something more important than his career. And so he begins to reorder his world around the priority of his son as he interviews and learns from other chefs who have also raised a family. Here's the beautiful and amazing thing about God when I looked at that episode and I thought more about God the Father. Here's the beautiful, amazing thing about our Father. God was never shocked, surprised about fatherhood. God was never hit with fatherhood. When he created you and I, we, or he was not an emotional mess when we came to being. God was a, never a clueless first-time dad because God was the father to his own son, Jesus, from all of eternity past. He didn't have to reorder his world in order to accommodate and prioritize us now. No, God was already a father who created this world with us already in mind. God knew us even before we were born, which means he had already prioritized, prized us, and he ordered the world so that we would hold a prized priority in all of his creation. Just take a moment and just ponder that aspect of God the Father. If he's that type of father before you were born, he's got fatherhood down-packed. If he loved you before the creation of the world, that his whole purpose was already centered around you as his beloved children, of course he's going to love you now. Of course he's interested in your life now. Of course he knows what's best. His heart is deeply compassionate and forgiving towards his sons and daughters. If you know God as your father, you don't need any other person's approval and affirmation. If you know God as your father, then you can be secure to be honest with him because he loved you before you were even created. If you know God as a father, then Christian living and obedience is not about living up to a reputation, but it's living in a relationship with God the Father. I want to emphasize that again. The Christian life is not about living up to a reputation before God. It's living in a relationship with God, your Father. Christianity is not about upholding a religious reputation. It's an uplifting relationship with your God, the Father. J.R. Packer says, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity... Find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Knowing God, your father, is key. It's the key to true devotion. It's the key to true Christianity. It's the difference between living up to a reputation before others and living in a relationship with God. If you're feeling trapped, tired 
of living a life of hypocrisy. If you're tired of carrying the weight of religious duty, moralistic activity for the praise of others, Jesus is saying, be free. Confess your sin and cry out to God, Abba, Father, and by his fatherly love and grace, live your life before the Father. Because your Father sees you. Your Father knows you. Your Father loves you. Your Father rewards you. And he does it now and forever. He does it from eternity past to all of eternity future. It's on my heart. God has laid upon my heart that for many of us, we've been walking that Christian walk for some time. But maybe today, you've been struck with the true heart and nature of Christianity. Maybe today, you're starting to get a glimpse and taste of the fatherhood of God. If that's you, come to God. Cry out, Daddy, I need you. I don't want to hide. I don't want to fake it. It's getting too tiring. I just want to come to you. And he will wrap his loving hands around you and he'll hold you for all of eternity. It's not about each other. It's about God the Father. And so I'm going to pray, but I would love to pray again over anyone who's feeling perhaps abandoned, lost, lonely, directionless. And I just want to have the opportunity and perhaps Nate with me, as well as Ben and the elders, just to pray that you would experience even just this moment of our time of Sunday worship to know the Father's love, to know that the Lord loves you, sees you, knows you, and he will reward you. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, my goodness, we open with this line And we can take it for granted Sunday after Sunday. But Father, we just want to cherish that we can actually come to you, say, our Father in heaven, who sees us and knows us, and we can come to you in the simple, most profound act, which is prayer. And so, Father, I pray, anyone here today is feeling lost, abandoned, feeling the weight of hypocrisy, feeling the burden of trying to please others. Father, I pray that by your fatherly love that you lift that burden off them and that burden may be placed upon your son, Jesus, so that by his cross, by his sacrifice, by taking our insecurities, taking our people-pleasing sin, that we would be free, that we would be adopted, that we could come to you freely and call you Abba. And Father, I pray that people here today would know the Father's care, they would know the Father's love and strengthen them, encourage them to continue to live for you who sees and knows. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.